Also, I should say, I don't know when, when this should actually go, but I do want to at some point say to the audience, if you're listening to this and my voice sounds uh, thick or in any way not like my usual voice, uh, that's because I done got the Rona. So <laughs> I have COVID voice. <clears throat> you sound good for all that, though. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help. With the aid of my favorite wrestling show, this is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we shave the beard off the episode of NXT that originally (laughs) aired on August 21st, 2014. In this episode, the finalists in the tag team tournament are revealed and we get to talk about it with our latest tag team partner, the one and the only Courtney Barrister, attorney at raw, AKA cam servo. Yeah. I actually got asked on Facebook today if I had any nicknames. I'm like, Oh, do I? Oh, <laughs> do I? <laughs> Episode 66 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode was just a fucking banger of a wrestling show with Mm -hmm. great in-ring action from start to finish. And that's one way in which professional wrestling can be really great. But of course, another way that professional wrestling can be great is when it's fucking weird. (laughs) And when wrestling is fucking weird, it's always fun to have a neophyte, a novice, a noob, if you will, on the show. Yay! And we are very pleased to welcome, for the first time, one of the original fans of this show, one of our first patrons... Uh, and a member in good standing of the Unspoiled Podcast Network. It is Cam Servo. Cam, thank you so much for joining us. It is always a pleasure. So Cam- glad you decided to come watch a wrestle with us. The only people who could get me to do this are Megan Bob. Yeah, that's it. That's the list. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Cam, I've just described you as a as a newbie to wrestling, but I actually don't know how accurate that is because you've lived a life. You're an old uh, <laughs> I am an Xer, as it were. <laughs> so I'm curious as to what your relationship with professional wrestling is and has been prior to the existence of the show. So, because I am an old and I used to have Saturday morning cartoons, kids look it up if mm. you don't know what that is. Right. I watched the WWE's cartoon <laughs> as a kid. And I was around when wrestling was on. I had a lot of cousins and some of them liked it and would, you know, nearly murder each other because it was the 80s and nobody (laughs) cared if a kid died because there was going to be another one. Didn't really get too into it. Knew a little bit here and there because I'm a person and they're always around. I knew who Gina Carano was because I'm a huge Deadpool fan. The movies. (laughs) Yeah, it's just the biggest names were the ones that I knew. So you're, like, aware of it, but you never really, like, paid any attention. Yeah, I'm going to prove how much of a noob I am when we start talking about a particular situation, and you're going to laugh real hard. (laughs) I'm super curious. So what to you is the most interesting thing about wrestling as it exists or as you know about it? I didn't know, and this was because we had, uh, you all had a watch where you had um, wrestling with people of color 
Mm-hmm. Oh, so, yeah, right. So that was just so fun, and I loved it, and it was really cool, and I had a great time watching that. Honestly, because of this podcast, I got a better idea that it's just, you know, silliness. I will also say that um, I don't recall the name that you gave another listener, David Kehoe, but he did get me to watch a Japanese wrestling mm. documentary one time. <laughs> but it was fascinating. So I liked that. I just, I haven't watched anything TV in almost a year now. It's just been a situation where I haven't watched anything at all. And that, again, is going to come up in a little bit. David Kehoe is Ferguson Locke. And uh, we do things for men with beautiful Scottish accents. What can I say? <laughs> Yeah, that's it's very true. Uh, I think all of our past would attest to this. A very, very powerful accent. <laughs> One thing I am curious about, Cam. So you've seen a documentary. You've seen a little bit of the the in ring stuff, especially now that you watched the episode for this. Do you find the storytelling, like watching wrestling, like it's a TV show, like the in world narrative? more interesting or do you find kind of like its relationship with reality and sort of the behind the scenes stuff more interesting? The behind the scenes in the documentary was actually pretty interesting. However, Mm -hmm. and I do apologize. It was in the beginning of Corona or even I think in the before times. So I don't Mm. remember who the people were. I do know it was a blonde guy and there was a breakup and a get together kind of thing. And it was, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi. Yes. yes, That's what I watched. (laughs) Yeah. And so I have a feeling that what I got introduced to was probably high tier of interest. Yes. Yeah. I found that very interesting, but also I have a feeling it was really well done. Yeah. That's some, that's some next level shit right there. So what would make you want to watch wrestling? Like what could wrestling do that would make you go, this is worth my time and attention. It would be nice to not have an all white crowd and cast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There was one black announcer. That was about it. I, yeah, there are many days where I go about my life and don't see a single other white person. Mm. So now it's gotten to the point where it's weird if I don't see a person of color. And so it was weird to see. Yeah, there were none on this episode, I don't think, except for um, Kalisto and Sin Cara. Yes. Because they're they're obviously uh, But you don't see their faces. Or Latinx. No, you don't see their faces because they're luchadors. Um, And NXT will get more diverse as the years go on, particularly in the women's division. We are seeing a snapshot in time of 2014, and yeah. so it's, it is extremely 2014. Yeah, but, but he, like I was even looking into the crowds, like trying to find anyone. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and like I think that promotions should pay attention to you saying that because guess what? If you do it, you'll attract a bigger audience. You idiots! <laughs> it is weird. It's so weird that there is like a. No, it's fine though. And like, but you're shooting yourself in the foot for no real reason other than your belief that the status quo is acceptable. But you are leaving money on the table. And it's so funny too, because like if you look at main roster WWE, like Raw, SmackDown, WrestleMania, WWE proper, like not NXT, but actual WWE, it is so much more diverse, especially now. Like and then the crowd as well. You know, it's weird how like these indie wrestling promotions like nxt is kind of folding a lot of independent wrestlers into it at this point in time aew we talk about it all the time like is really kind of another promotion where it's like a rich guy buys all the independent wrestlers that he likes you know all this stuff and the the product is great from just like a wrestling perspective but like they're all white 
and all the fucking fans are white. Like it's just like media. It's like comics or movies or anything. Yeah, it's like all the absolutely. super nerdy weirdos who are diehard into this shit are a bunch of white people. And over here, you say what you want about WWE, but like they have black champions. They have a bunch of black people and a bunch of people of color in various roles in a number of roles on their show. And they don't get it right all the time. I mean, Jesus Christ, it's WWE. It's Vince McMahon. I can't believe I'm giving them credit, but that's where the rest of the wrestling industry is at, that you have to give them credit for their diversity. And that's a problem. <laughs> well, cause Vince McMahon knows money. I will say the other thing. Yeah. My dad's cousin, uh, back when it was WWF did some of their logo work and things like oh. that, not knowing anything about wrestling she also did espn stuff and didn't know anything about football it was hilarious nice but she did meet jake the snake who had a snake on him at the time of course he did (laughs) and he was trying to like impress her or somebody thought she should be impressed and she's just like why is this guy got a snake on him she had no idea (laughs) (laughs) that's very satisfying yeah Oh, man. All right. Well, there are lots of conversations like this, I think, to be had as we move forward on this episode. I'm just so happy that Cam is here to have them with us. Cam is going to be joining us for Bob's Breakdown, of course, as well as the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. After which, we will bestow one lucky performer with the Bullrince Olivier Award for outstanding commitment to the bit (laughs) before finishing things off with a rousing edition of Guess the Gimmick. And uh, because we have a guest on the show, there will be no wrestling term of the week and no cheap pop quiz. But we do have to get the answers to last episode's cheap pop quiz. Bob is currently chilling with five points. I am drawing ever closer to needing to edit an episode. Let's see Uh, if they got any more. Question number one. Next episode features the latest appearance of NXT Daddy at Triple H who is here to announce two things. The first thing is that the next TakeOver special will take place on September 11th, 2014, and all three titles will be defended. What is the second thing? Is it A, Triple H himself will be wrestling on that TakeOver special? B, Triple H himself will be the special guest referee for the NXT Championship match on that TakeOver special? C, NXT General Manager JBL will be the special guest referee for the NXT Championship match on that TakeOver special. D, NXT is actually getting a new General Manager. Or E, NXT is getting a new championship. Bob, you went a little bit back and forth on the last two there. Mm -hmm. But you ultimately went with E, the new championship. Sadly, that is incorrect. The answer is D, NXT is getting a new General Manager. Thank God, but also, oh no, it could be worse. (laughs) yeah we'll find out who it is on the next episode question number two following up on the end of this episode next episode also features a match between tyson kidd and tyler breeze how does that match end a breeze beats kidd in a matter of seconds grabs a microphone and demands another championship match with neville at the upcoming takeover event b kidd beats breeze in a matter of seconds grabs a microphone and demands another championship match with neville at the upcoming takeover event c Kid defeats Breeze by countout when Breeze deliberately walks out of the match. D. Breeze defeats Kid when Natalia interferes on Breeze's behalf. Or E. The match is ruled a no contest when Neville and Zayn both interfere by attacking both participants. Uh, Bob, in this answer, you went with D. Uh, the Natalia interference. That would have been fun. The correct answer is C. The countout when Breeze deliberately walks out of the match. No human on this earth could have predicted that outcome. That we'll have lots to say. <laughs> yeah, we have questions. And question number three. Finally, there's at least one non-title takeover match that gets set up on the next episode. What match would that be? 
Is it A, Mojo Rawley versus Bull Dempsey? B, Becky Lynch versus Sasha Banks? C, Enzo Amore versus Sylvester Laforte in a hair versus hair match? D, both A and C, or E, all of the above? Bob, you thought hard about this one. You came to the realization, the rationale, that at this point in the NXT calendar, probably not getting two women's matches on TakeOver. (laughs) And you went with the answer D, which is both A and C, and that was correct. Yay! You're up to six. (gasps) Up to six. And uh, no opportunity for more points at the end of this episode, of course, but you will get back on that train on our next episode. For now, Bob... I think it is time to get into Bob's Breakdown. Our commentary team for this episode is Byron Saxton, Renee Young, and Tom Phillips. So, not bad. Pretty good. The theme of this episode? The reprise. You know, when a song is played and then the song comes back later in the thing that you're watching and and you're like, you're like, oh shit, the song, but in a different context, the artistry. (laughs) (laughs) Match one, Enzo and Cass enter. We are reminded of the things that cannot be taught, like being a certified G or being seven foot tall. And then the villains and the smile of Simon Gotch could light up a fucking room. So I visited AO3 to investigate a little, (laughs) and I found that there are 113 Enzo Big Cast pairing fanfics, the last of which was posted in January of 2022. Wow. Yes. Still doing it, huh? Still going strong. Would either of you care to take a guess at how many vaudevillain fanfics there are out there? Uh, I'm going to go with considerably fewer, but more than five. Cam, would you like to just throw a number out there? 87. Okay, love it. There are four. Oh. (laughs) I know. I was like, do I have to fucking run? Right? (laughs) This is an affront. Miles, you and I have to band. I don't know what we have to do. Is this like a fundraising opportunity that we're like? (laughs) It might be. It might be. I I honestly think we could make some money like writing our own NXT fanfics. You know, uh, that is technically illegal, but (laughs) (laughs) I cannot that there are but four guys. All of them are rated G. What What? are we fucking doing here? No. Nonsense. I know. The crimes of the past we must answer for. This is terrible. But I do want to let you know, the ship name for Cass Enzo is, and this is really fucking cute, Casamore. And I was like, all right, that's oh, that's pretty that's, good. That's a good ship name. And I was like trying to think of what the ship name for Gotch and a English would be. And I was like, Gotchlish? That's terrible. <laughs> that's, that's awful. Not, yeah, we're not using that. But I'm like, I don't, I mean, the Vaud Villains is kind of like just the ship name, I guess. But <laughs> okay, so the match starts with Cass and English being treated roughly. Trade off to Gotch, who is elbow dropped, which from a height of seven feet is not nothing. Tag into Enzo Amore in his velour leopard print harem pants. Do they have a drop crotch? (laughs) Oh, friend, of course they have a drop crotch. (laughs) (laughs) It is an affront. Now, I am not going to say that I do not wish to have a pair myself. However, I do not wish to see anyone else in them. 
They do a tag team maneuver in which Big Cass just throws Enzo at Gotch. And I am not exaggerating. He is just thrown like someone throwing a bag of dry cement at someone in a fight scene at a building site, which is a popular site for fights. (laughs) Where are we going to have a fight scene? I know, a building site. Yeah, get them wheelbarrows in there. You're like, all right, okay. I guess it's affordable. Anyway, Enzo almost goes over the corner and off the apron, but lands with a shocking amount of grace on the apron itself. Cue Gotch picking up Enzo, and holy shit, Gotch falls back on him, and Aiden English dives at him and pins him, and the villains win. And I was like, yay, yay. And then a plot element arrives from the back. It's an attack at ringside (laughs) by the Legionnaires as they beat down Enzo and Cass, and then... Out of nowhere, for no goddamn reason, some hair clippers and Marcus Louis holds Enzo still as a good portion of his left side beard is sheared away. Now, important question. Does Enzo look worse, better, or the same? Your thoughts? Fractionally worse? Like, he looks less symmetrical, which is a problem (laughs) for me. (laughs) At the same time, like... His character, I don't feel like, demands symmetricalness? Mm-hmm. Symmetry? Symmetriosity, yeah. No, I... I yes, <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Symmetriosity. So I'm I'm not, like, super bothered by it, but I like that he is. <laughs> Cam, worse, better, the same? I have done begging the stream to have the Clippers keep going. just all of it just all of it gone just no more of of, you're not allowed to have any hair on your body sir ever you've made all the wrong choices so cam did you have thoughts in general about this character i I, so i grew up in upstate new york uh at least for high school and the neighborhood i grew up in was italian Mm -hmm. those guys exist oh boy sure they exist and i hate them (laughs) (laughs) wow okay as soon as i saw him i was like oh this is a heel because oh no beloved baby face i I just wanted to murder him immediately yeah in ring rottweiler in a suit triple h comes out does his suit fit this time no but it does look like they're getting closer In my head, I I picture him as like basically feral when off screen, and they have to wrestle him into anything that isn't his fighting briefs. So the goal is like like everybody from costuming just grabs him and holds him and tries to shove him into anything. And so they're like, look, it's the one that we can get on him. He will rip through anything that's properly fitted. It has to be like this. And then they just shove him out there. And then suddenly in front of the stage lights, he's a normal person who isn't like frothing at the mouth. (laughs) That's why Stephanie married him. She wanted a wild man. That makes sense. That makes sense. If you've seen some of Stephanie's outfits, like at WrestleMania, yeah, it all fits. (laughs) I realized I knew the name, but not the face. Because I was like, who's this incredibly ugly man coming (laughs) out? In his wrestling career, you know, he had, like, long hair. Which, no. And it was often wet. Real conditioner head. (laughs) So he is here to announce NXT TakeOver in three weeks, and all the championships are on the line. Most notably, the tag team championships, since there's this whole tournament thing going on. And then there's going to be a new general manager, too. I am on tenterhooks. 
I hope it is someone I do not hate. That would be terrific. Or is it going to be somebody I hate more? Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) I'm very much looking forward to the reveal of that on the next episode and your reaction to it. That could go either way for me. I don't know. Yes. Yes, it could. (laughs) Okay. Backstage, Tyler Breeze is pissed about Tyson Kidd, and Tyson Kidd is about to find out that Prince Pretty is not just a pretty face, (laughs) but he is definitely also a pretty face. (laughs) Okay. Like, put a pin in that. Okay. Everybody just remember, he really wants to fight Tyson Kidd. This is important. He's going to prove something to him. Okay. (laughs) Remember this. Okay. Match two. It's Tyson Kidd versus Tyler Breeze. Oh my gosh, the thing from what we were just talking about. Okay, Breeze is furious and kicking the shit out of Kidd. And then Kidd is beating up Breeze and forcing him to do some low to the ground somersaults. Breeze goes to defend his face, but Kidd respects no model. Kick to the snoot, kick to the tum-tum, double kick to the snoot. And he's now grabbing Tyler Breeze, trying to get in the sharpshooter, get this over with. And Breeze wriggles just like a freshly caught fish flopping and makes it to the ropes and then gets out of the ring. And he yells, I don't need this, Tyson. I don't need this. And walks off backstage. Okay, let's revisit. Yes. Not, but, oh, four minutes earlier, (laughs) he had expressed great interest in this match. And now four minutes have passed. That interest has evaporated. Now, Tyson Kidd is still in the ring, delighted with his bullshit victory, takes the opportunity, grabs Breeze's abandoned ostrich fur vest, and poses on the ropes like Cleopatra on a Shea Lounge before heading backstage. Great heel shit. And I was like, okay, what are we doing here? And then, backstage, the reprise. (laughs) It's Tyler Breeze again. People have questions, like, why did you do this? And he's like, oh, why is it a big deal? I'm focused on the big announcement next week. Tyson and I are fine. It doesn't even matter. What? 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 Did I just spend six minutes on this for nothing? For nothing. And then I was like, you know what? I could have been on Twitter for six minutes. So there's worse things I could have been spending my six minutes on. Zing! Take that, Twitter! (laughs) Miles and Cam. We watched three segments in a row with Tyler Breeze. We got no resolution of any kind. What the hell is going on? Theories, red string, anything. It is very strange. Uh, Knowing where all of this is going in terms of what match is being built to, and you'll learn the answer to that on the next episode. It's a very odd choice. I think Mm -hmm. that they felt like they had to do something with kid and breeze because like logically it makes sense because kid messed up a breeze's title shot. Right. Mm -hmm. So I feel like they thought they needed the resolution for that, but they didn't want to have like a full on, like they weren't building toward them for takeover. I'm just gonna tell you that right now. Like they're not building heel Tyson kid versus heel Tyler breeze for takeover because like we've talked before about why heel versus heel matches don't always work. And you know, it's just not like where they want to go with it. Mm-hmm. So I think they wanted kind of a, a little one night storyline to sort of resolve any questions about whether or not there were like issues between the two of them. And the way they chose to do that was by, I guess, doing a Tyler Breeze character piece whereby 
He comes out, talks a big game, and if you notice, he got hit in the face before he left the match. Oh. And we have seen before in earlier Tyler Breeze matches, and I don't think it's happened in a while, but when the character was first coming on, he didn't like getting hit in the face because he Mm -hmm. has those good looks, right? I think the whole thing where it's like, I want to fight you, shit, you know what? No, I don't need this. I'm too good for this. (laughs) And then backstage is, what are you talking about? Nothing's wrong. Nothing's happening. There's nothing to see here. I think it's meant to be kind of like a Breeze character study in terms of he is a heel who will talk a big game, but sometimes just decides that it's not worth his time and doesn't want to talk about it anymore. (laughs) That's the best I got for you. That is worth the no prize. I think that is the best explanation and feels not satisfying, but at least logical, which is more than it gave me just, you know, from the source material. Yeah. I just figured he didn't think he was going to win, so he took his ball and went home. Mm. Interesting. I think that's a move that more people should employ in wrestling or like taking the the loss anyway. It just is like an asshole move and going like, I don't care. I don't need your pity win or whatever. I don't need it yeah. from you. Like they don't do that enough. I like a good walk off, but this was just a weird walk off. Match three, Charlotte Flair comes to the ring and she's wearing dark blue. Almost oh, <sighs> what a heel. Becky Lynch is wearing black and flannel. <laughs> and it's sort of like punk-esque, like rocker chick kind of. Yeah, that's her thing. That's her game. Yeah, I know the general vibe of this thing, even if the costume isn't totally clear on what it's doing. But she is wrestling in Chuck Taylors. I don't think they're legit Chuck Taylors, but they look very close to it. Or they're those like special ones that have all the cool shit on them. Also, Charlotte does a bicep flex. And I could, just by watching it, I felt the hand of Claire Mulcairin grip my shoulder <laughs> and gasp in my ear. The sweaty <laughs> hand of Claire Mulcairin. Girls. I felt it, Claire. It was very gay and I loved it. Claire doesn't know that she's here with me, but she's here with me. Aww. And so the match starts and Becky picks a body part. She twists Charlotte's left leg around her leg and then falls to kneeling, wrenching that left leg. And then Charlotte flips Becky over her in a sort of like extremely low to the ground Spanish fly. Just like, all right, we could do like a somersault together in midair, but how about we just kind of do one together, lock together on the ground. And she tries to get that pin, no dice. Now Charlotte is torturing Becky's left leg. And Charlotte Ah. gets, I know, themes the left leg. All right. (laughs) Charlotte gets Becky into the corner and kicks and kicks and kicks. And then figure four headlock. Becky bridges back to try and pin Charlotte, who lets go. And I love it every time I see it. Becky gets back that precious momentum juice. But will it pay off? I mean, she does a lot of leg drops on Charlotte's neck. So that bodes well, because nobody should have leg drops down on their neck. (laughs) Becky tries to line up a suplex, but Charlotte just grabs hold and pops her hip, sending Becky backwards to the mat. And Becky is barely holding on. But Charlotte does that gymnastics flip over Becky, holding her neck and dragging her face first to the mat. Bow down to the queen indeed. She pins Becky for three and it is over. Now, Miles. Yes. There are not enough women on this roster to have competition for this belt. I mean, yes, in general, there are not enough women on this roster. But for the belt to have meaning, there are not enough women on this roster. 
what do you do when you have like five or six women who regularly get screen time and you have a belt that you're supposed to make feel meaningful and not like a big fish in a small pond kind of thing? How do you fix it? Well, first of all, I think five to six is generous at this point. Because if you name the wrestlers that we've seen work matches on NXT television recently, Mm -hmm. it's basically just the four. It's basically just Charlotte, Becky, Sasha, and Bailey. Alexa Bliss every now and then. Alexa, okay, sorry. Alexa Bliss every now and then. So Alexa Bliss is actually there. But, like, she doesn't get time very often. Paige is gone. Emma's gone. Summer Rae is gone. Although, back for the Royal Rumble this year. She's coming back. I'm excited. I know I'm still. At the time this airs, uh, she might have already returned. But you know, those three are gone. Like Natalia isn't really wrestling anymore. We haven't seen Natalia in forever. I know. Um, so it's really just a very bare bones division right now. I think what you do, you do the best you can, and what you do is you send the women you have out to have, in my opinion, really fucking good wrestling matches. It's funny that they're all wrestling each other. I'm gonna spoil something about the next episode, Bob. Sasha and Bailey wrestle again. Oh my fucking! <laughs> like, it's it's literally they're gonna start hiring more women at a certain point here. But for the time being, it's just the four. However, there is a reason that these four wrestlers are referred to as the four horsewomen of NXT because they are the best. Like they are the ones. It, it is these four wrestlers who made this women's division what it is in 2014 and 2015. And people remember the takeover matches, which we'll talk about as they come. People remember, you know, kind of all the high profile stuff. But what I don't think people really remember is that there's this period here in late 2014 where it's just them. And they just have to go out over and over again and work with each other over and over again and make the matches interesting and make the matches good and make them matter and make them meaningful and as a result elevate the championship and personally i think they do a really good job of it considering the situation that they're in and um you know obviously credit to sarah amato their trainer as well it's not a great situation to be in it's not a great situation for nxt to have put itself in but i do think that they make the most of it they make the best of it okay but alternative idea though like if Uh if you're not gonna do that disguises (laughs) okay so just put bailey in a trench coat and a fedora (laughs) or or put sasha in one of those freaky morph suits that covers your whole body sasha would be terrifying in a fucking morph suit you're like oh my god i don't know what's under here but it wants to murder me (laughs) you're describing a time-honored wrestling tactic bob that's the kind of thing that happened a lot back in the day well, bring it back. Draw a tiny little John Waters mustache on Natalia. What are we doing here? Come on. All right. Talking on the ramp with Enzo and Cass. The reprise. See? Mm-hmm. Ah. Let's Enzo. Name this episode the reprise. <laughs> Enzo came here to talk shit about Sylvester LaFour's hairline. You know what? I think Sylvester LaFour is kind of hot. There. That is a public stance i am taking (laughs) now is there a little more tanner than i would personally like yes there is an orange cast a little features well i mean i think he's dark-skinned to begin with but like the tanner adds a certain like yeah uh a a level of bronze that is beyond the pale all right it's hair versus hair at nxt takeover Our first extremely dumb gimmick match. (laughs) I am so happy. All right, Miles. What is the dumbest gimmick match you've ever seen? And I also want to know what place 
does hair versus hair have in the hierarchy of dumb match stipulations? Because there are many to be had. But I'm curious, hair versus hair is a one that appears often. Well, yeah. often enough to be like noteworthy. There's others. I think the most of Mayhem match or whatever the fuck that was with Jericho <laughs> and Orange Cassidy is like, these are outliers. But I, I am welcome outliers in your most weird. But I'm curious about the hierarchy of the ones that are frequent enough to actually have a name. So, yeah, that's a very good distinction to make. Hair versus hair walks the line between, like, time-honored tradition and something that's fucking dumb. Um, (laughs) So, like, it's a thing that's happened a lot in wrestling. It's very silly. I think it often, like, happens as a result of, like, a wrestler wanting to change their look. Probably the best and the most notable hair versus hair match that I can remember is the one that happened, like, very early on in my wrestling viewing career between Edge and Kurt Angle. And oh, Kurt wow. Angle lost, and Kurt Angle had to get shaved bald. But, like, Kurt Angle bald is the Kurt Angle that everyone remembers. Like, he was bald <laughs> for the true. rest of his career. And, like, when you think of Kurt Angle, you think of a bald guy. That's how it's often used. In terms of, like, it's kind of dumb. It's kind of a silly thing. The build to this one is particularly silly, because usually there's, like, more to it. <laughs> usually there's more going on that leads to it, instead of, like, the dude randomly shows up with a beard trimmer. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they're doing a hair versus hair match. In a way, it's kind of an Americanized version of the idea of Lucha de Apuestas, or the, you know, the mask versus mask from uh, Lucha Wrestling. It's common enough that it's not the weirdest thing in the world. In terms of, like, the weirdest regular stipulation, the genre of stipulation of blank on a pole match. (laughs) (laughs) Because there is just a wide range of things that can be on a pole. (laughs) That's the nature of polls, you see. Yeah, you can put pretty much anything up there. You know, so like, that's always the dumb thing. They do, you know, brass knuckles on a pole match, somebody's wooden leg on a pole match. Like, they do, they've done so much random shit on a pole that it just like makes no sense. So that's probably like my favorite dumb regular stipulation. I mean, obviously, like you said, there have been individual stipulations that are dumber and or have gone incredibly poorly. I was not a wrestling fan uh, during the Kennel from Hell match, I think it was called. Wait, wh- um, what? Yeah, you can Google that. They uh, they got a bunch of dogs, I think. Okay. Uh, and, and then, like, all the dogs started pooping. Oh, God! <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Yeah. It's a very notorious incident in wrestling history, is the, the Kennel from Hell match. Um, but another one that I'll point out as being particularly dumb is the four corners match which has been has had different rules and incarnations over the years it generally involves like you have to like go around the ring touching all four corners in succession before you can win or something i don't even fully understand it it's the dumbest thing in the world is this like a duck duck goose version yeah right uh if you ever want to see how just how weird it could be there's a four corners match i believe it's john cena and rusev it's just sublimely ridiculous. Like, the, nobody <laughs> understands the rules. Match four. Mojo Raleigh is here to do all the vertical jumps. But this time, guys, he's doing them with intensity. There is a subtle frisson of tension. This doggo is no longer playing fetch. He is playing for keeps. Steve Cutler in the ring. Olive Green briefs. Good man. I think he's got little pleather bits on the side. Very proud of him. I think they're they're trying to play up the whole uh, X Marine thing with him as well. Yeah, doing. that's I thought so because I was like, it's m- a nicer green than most like army green is. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, 
It's subtle. Yes. <laughs> As wrestling so often known for. <laughs> oh, so yeah, wrestling. <laughs> Subtlest of fake sports. <laughs> okay, so I am not really sure what's going on here, but what is happening is categorically boring. Mojo roughs up Steve. Steve roughs up Mojo. Mojo roughs up Steve. Steve roughs up Mojo. Mojo <laughs> throws Steve into the turnbuckle pad so hard he sprawls flat on his face. Great sell. Yeah, oh God, best sell. There is a not inconsiderable Let's Go Steve chant. And it's funny because Steve gets a little more offense in this match than I would have thought he might. Oh, we will come to that. Because then Mojo okay. bodily hurls himself upon Steve once Steve is standing up again. He leads him to the middle of the ring. Steve is subjected to the butt dunk pin and it's over. Mojo's the victor. Miles. Yes. Why wasn't this a squash? Clearly they want Mojo to look credible enough because they're planning on making him fight Bull Dempsey, which I don't predict is going to go super well. So I can see where they're going. Like the destination is obvious on the map, but they made Steve Cutler look like competent in the process. I was like, oh, Steve Cutler's pretty good. Has their disregard for Mojo's prowess gotten so bad that like they can't even book him in a squash match because they're like, no, no one would believe that. Yeah, so on the one hand, you know, NXT will kind of become known for a kind of cool phenomenon whereby jobbers do get to look at least like they deserve to be in the ring sometimes, which is kind of nice. I I like it when jobbers aren't just like completely murked. But in this case, the specific thing that you're supposedly trying to do is make Mojo look like he's done fucking playing around, right? And if he's done playing around, like we've been saying it for, it feels like months now, that Mojo with this whole hype gimmick where he never stops should just be wrecking people and going home. Like that is what his push should look like. For it to be in this case, they're not even giving him that. (laughs) It feels like somebody's just really not behind the guy, to be honest. It feels like he does not have the support of somebody backstage. Why did they say he was 300 pounds? Oh, did they? Supposedly he is? No, he's not. He's 6'4". No? Yeah. I was married to a guy who was 6'5 and used to power lift. My ex-husband looked like that when he was 25. Mm-hmm. So uh-huh. I'm sitting there going, he's not 300 pounds. And then I kept no. on like getting obsessed about it. And then I liked Mojo Raleigh fine. Like he's like, maybe because I was like, oh, I'm, that looks like some. Oh. But, but like, but not from the neck up. So that helped. But also he was Raleigh, which was funny because the closed caption kept on spelling it like the city. Like Aww. the city where you've lived, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing was, fr- I was just like, well, and he's from Alexandria, which is the last place I lived. Oh, wow. I was about to ask you, I was like, you lived in Virginia, didn't you? Yeah, I lived in Alexandria. So do Whoa. people talk like that? Like when you listen to his voice, like his accent, is that a typical like Alexandria or Virginia accent? No, Alexandria is like two seconds from DC. No one actually has an accent. Okay. Mm. No, no one has an accent because everybody's from every place so it all just kind of mixes together until we all sound like people from dc that's oh, funny yeah so okay. that was that was entertaining because i was like oh you're a liar <laughs> <laughs> also well you know or an actor take your pick yeah or like you know maybe he was a transplant maybe he like was from texas or whatever and then moved there you know something like that yeah, i was so curious that i ended up looking him up Oh, there's wow. not a lot of information on IMDb about wrestlers, oddly enough. But his last name was very much like, I'm like, what ethnicity are you? Because I can't mm-hmm. remember who it was. But it definitely wasn't like European. His name is Mutadi, his last name. M-U-H-T-A-D-I. Yes. He has yeah. uh, Middle Eastern heritage. Mm. His dad's Palestinian and his mom is half Syrian. 
There we go. Because I, I was going to say Syrian know. was in there, but I couldn't. I was like, no, I'm thinking of Zane. But no, no, no. No, he's also half Syrian. I legit did not know that about him. He was born in Alexandria. But again, like, could be that he was military. Who knows? Mojo takes the mic. He's going to take everything Bull Dempsey's got and keep on because he can't stop. You think all I am is a smile? Well, the smile is gone. <laughs> Delivered like it's the most important line that has ever been said. And I physically buried my face in my hands with both <laughs> despair and joy. <laughs> so match five. Lady Whistledown's match report. Ah, yes. We are well into the season, and Senors Callisto and Sin Cara have done admirably for themselves in our little social set. So well that they've scheduled about with some of the most beloved amongst the town, Mr. Zane and Mr. Rose. You would be hard-pressed to find a more beloved pair, and both remain unentangled for any matchmaking mamas looking for a permanent tag-team partner for their daughter. <laughs> it is to be noted that the pace preferred by these masked gentlemen is considerably more rapid than your average quadrille, and even Mr. Zane cannot keep up with such leaps and drags indefinitely, although it is widely agreed that he looks most handsome indeed while doing so. It was overheard from Lady Renee Young that she was surprised Mr. Zane had the good grace to leave in the dance revelry of Mr. Rose after their last performance and remarked upon Mr. Zane's talent as a dancer. Ladies, there may be someone amongst our set who has already set her cap upon Mr. Zane. Mr. Zane retreats from the action to catch his breath and both seniors ran to the rope as though to leap through, instead bouncing gracefully backwards and standing to receive the acclaim of those gathered for the spectacle, who showed their approval by chanting Lucha. <laughs> 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 Gotta commit to the bit. Can't halfway. It must be said that there is no bad outcome to be had here. All these gentlemen are well favored and have the affection of the assembly. After a brief pause for refreshments, we return to action with Callisto struggling to overcome the size and power of both Misters Zane and Rose. Callisto is light enough to be manhandled, but lithe and clever enough that when presented any opportunity, responds with alacrity. Indeed, Callisto leapt to avoid Mr. Zane and walked on his hands before walking backwards and seizing Mr. Zane decisively with his ankle around Mr. Zane's neck and then pitched Mr. Zane forward to the mat. Mr. Zane is at a disadvantage now as Senor Sincara is brought into the affair, who is able to flip backwards with grace from the top corner. It ends in naught, but such fancies are always a pleasure to see. Senor Callisto is brought back in and is immediately at the mercies of Mr. Rose. Alas, he is pinned to the mat like a rare butterfly on one of those exhibitions at the Royal Society of Natural History. Their exhibits are ever so good, you know. Callisto is launched upwards by Mr. Rose and then driven into the mat with the panache that only Mr. Rose can bring. He is able to kick out and it's enough to allow a tag to Sinkara, who is at his most frolicsome. Indeed, he barely alights to the mat before he's leaping to the ropes, executing handsprings or flying at his opponents. The pace is rapid fire now. One hardly knows who has been tagged when. It's an absolute crush of gentlemen coming and going, being tossed, kicked, fallen upon, and leapt at. Mr. Rose remains at the center of the action, with Mr. Zane punctuating the proceedings with attempts to rescue his partner. 
Mr. Sin Cara is able to fell Mr. Zane on the outside of the ring, opening up a chance for Senor Callisto to execute his beautiful backwards leap into a straddle, bringing Mr. Rose to the mat. It's followed by a blow from Senor Sin Cara as he somersaults from the top corner onto the prone Mr. Rose. Mr. Zane, who has been recovering beyond the ring, rushes in, attempting to save his companion, but it is too late as the bell sounds three. Although the pair of Mr. Zane and Mr. Rose will not continue in their attempt to dethrone two of the more mysterious members of the town, Messieurs Connor and Victor, both from Transylvania, I've been told. <laughs> I have no doubt that they will continue to be appreciated for what they bring to any social event of the season. And furthermore, one hopes that we see a little more of what may be unfolding in Lady Renee's fondness for Mr. Zane. Yours fondly, Lady Whistledown. I love it. Thank you, Lady Whistledown. I have a question for you because I, so this is not just my favorite style of wrestling to watch. Lucha is my fucking favorite. One of the things that I especially love about tag team and trio stuff whenever it's Lucha is that Lucha rules are different. You do not have to tag your partner. All you have to do for a lucha match to like have your partner be able to tag in is just like roll out of the ring, which means right. that there's no pause and there's no like, you don't have to do the grind down to, and then to like desperately try to tag your partner. You just fucking roll out of the ring and then your partner's like, fuck you! And like <laughs> flies at your opponent. It's amazing. Lucha matches are super fast paced. Uh, well, they can be. And at the end, it felt like they're just like, fuck tags. We're not doing that. We're, everybody's just coming in whenever. And I was like, yay, this is great. Did it give you that feeling of Lucha rules at the end there? Like, do they do that? Does WWE pull that out occasionally and go like, nah, tags don't matter. You can just like run in for a few seconds and fuck somebody up and then leave. I think it gave me the feeling a little bit just because like it was very fast paced, but I don't think they were abandoning the tag structure. I just think the tags were happening quickly and they were not like emphasized visually. So it's oh, like the camera sorry. wasn't focused on the tags. Uh. Um, the reason I say that is because the announcers were still clearly discussing who was the legal man and who was not. So mm. um, I didn't get any sense that they had altered the rules or allowed things to um, kind of devolve in that Lucha tag kind of way. But I do think that the match was structured in a way that kind of gives you that feeling because it's okay. more fun. It is. Default should be Lucha rules where it's just chaos. And then <laughs> I think that on special occasions, you do like old style. You have to hold on to the little rope. You have to have yeah. proper tags, all that other stuff. And then you can make an occasion instead of like just feeling like a drag where everybody has to do the like, oh, no, will they get to their partner? Because I mean, that can be OK, but I want that to feel special. I don't want it to feel like, oh, this is just that part of the match. Interesting. I don't know that I totally agree with that, but I definitely see where you're coming from. I just want people to just do crazy stuff. That's, that's I know. I, I like the drama of the of the tags of the the reaching out for the tag rope and being dragged back into the ring. Like that's kind of my job. <laughs> what do you think, Cam? This was my favorite match by far. I loved every second of this. It was great. First off, you guys have been talking about Sami Zayn for like ever. And I mm -hmm. yep. because of your love, I loved him too. So I, I mean, excited. he's. I was like, oh, that's the guy. That's the guy who had the flags. Is it? Isn't he <laughs> fucking right. gorgeous and tremendous? I was so excited. So, and then he had Arabic on his ass, which you know, but watch. Butch. And then I had to be worried about Adam Rose because he had a lollipop in his mouth, and that can be dangerous. Yeah, um, I know. 
but there was holographic flips. Holy cow, those costumes were bonkers and they're going all over the place. Like, I was all excited when Charlotte did her entrance, but then the entire match was like amazing and people were jumping all over each other and and up in the air and it was just like if gymnastics got angry (laughs) lucha fucking rules and i need to show you some not even in a you need to like wrestling way just in a have you ever seen a human being do this shit like it was just fucking good it was so awesome it was so awesome i was all like i didn't know who i wanted to win because i wanted all of them to win Oh yeah, 100%. no, I, I, I feel them equally. I wanted them all to be happy and and feel like they did a good job at the end. Well, it was a good finish too because I think I think the way the match played out, you kind of got the sense that it, it was Kalisto and Sin Cara. Their victory was totally legitimate and everything. But like, man, Sami Zayn was this close to breaking up that pinfall. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown, Bob. What did you think of this episode overall? The first time I watched it, I enjoyed it. The second time I watched it, I was like, wait, this is so much weirder than I remembered it being. This is exceptionally weird and makes multiple weird moves. The fact that Breeze just walks out and the fact that the beard shaving comes out of nowhere and the fact that Tyson Kidd celebrates that count out like it's a fucking gold medal at the Olympics and is like, I'm the best. And I'm like, you're a dumb piece of shit. And I love you so much. (laughs) It it just was peak after peak. The only thing I could have ever asked for more of is if there had been more backstage bits that had been just overtly stupid like if i had just seen the ascension do the peck shimmy once that would have been a cherry on all of this cam what did you think about this episode did you enjoy what you saw i mean i enjoyed the last one and i um agree with phantom claire yeah (laughs) with that in mind i think it's time to get to the sights sounds and feels of pro wrestling So, Megan Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? Crotch watch. <laughs> crotch watch. Kalisto's little crotch flap. It's not doing anything. It's just hanging over his junk like a little pleather <laughs> fig leaf. It also has a ton of cutouts on it. So if that was all he was wearing, it would cover precisely half of one ball, maybe. Yeah. Like, it's not a rectangle or something. It's sort of a weird fleur de lis, maybe. It's just weird, and it's kind of got pointy bits on it. I'm like, I don't don't know who this is for, buddy. But it's just out here flapping. And you know what? Good for it. Miles, what did your elf eyes see? Uh, I actually also saw Kalisto. I I think it's it's pretty hard to not, like, pick Kalisto as what your elf eyes saw uh, during this episode. Both because of his outfit, which is tremendous and on point. I love the little, like, Sharon pointed this out, too. We love the little, like, dragon tail thing hanging down from the back of his mask. Mm -hmm. Like, it just makes him look so cool. And just, like, the shit he was doing was really fucking rad. Like, he just popped off the screen every time he was in the ring. Just, like, pulling off athletic maneuver after athletic maneuver. And, like, at one point he was seen as, like, being WWE's heir to Rey Mysterio. And it really, really shows in this match. Wow. Cam, what did your elf eyes see? I did see all those things, but my elf eyes noticed that 
for as much as he was all about how pretty he was, a certain someone <laughs> decided to go to Walmart to get ah. leg accessories in the cleaning aisle. <gasps> yeah. It literally looked like he had found two mops, mm-hmm. broken off the handle, and slammed his foot through the mop part. It does look like that. He looks like part of a car chamois thing. Yes! Is it cyberpunk? I Maybe. That's the only <laughs> thing that it looks even remotely like to me. Mm. It looked like a Commodore. Like the dogs, the huge dogs with dreads. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's very hard to sell it as high fashion as he does. But after a certain point, you just get used to it. And you're like, all right, well, I guess we're just calling this what fashion is. But okay. Like, I remember them having kind of like stripey, uh, glittery Mm -hmm. things in the back of their legs back in old wrestling days. But this was something different. I was like, are you trying to be a Clydesdale? I don't don't understand. (laughs) Megan Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? Tom Phillips saying, Sylvester LaFour shaving the beard of Enzo Amore. Renee, this, this is literally all he has left right now. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, Renee. Like, what a harsh indictment of Enzo Amore's life. Do it. I know all he's got left is a shitty beard <laughs> and you would take that from him too. You monster. <laughs> I was like, do you know about his personal life? Like, is he, is, is he have tax problems? I'm like, what the fuck is going on that? You're like, no, this beard was the only thing he had left to cling to in these terrible <laughs> times in his life. I, I love that Renee sold it. Like this was the line between him and like turning into Walter White or something <laughs> right. like that. He's going, no, he's cracked. This is the end. He's going to go in the desert and make meth now. There's nothing good left. All right. Miles, what'd your Vulcan ears hear? My Vulcan ears heard Tyler Breeze. Yes. In that last backstage promo. I think he actually said like, you people in the media or something. <laughs> Why is the media blowing this up? Like, it stood out to me for two reasons. First of all, because it felt like a weirdly modern thing to say. Mm. Like, that line just, like, holds up. You listen to it today, and you're like, oh, yes, that's what delusional idiots talk about. Especially when they're, like, obviously, like, wrong and want you to forget what actually happened. Yeah, <laughs> but I just exactly. thought it was just great. Like, I'm all the way on board with you in terms of, like, that whole three-segment storyline feeling disjointed and off. But if they were going to do it, I think Breeze really like kind of nailed that last bit where he's yes. like, no, nothing's wrong. Everything is fine. Tyson and I are fine. Why are you fucking paparazzi? Why are you blowing this up into something it isn't? It worked for me in the end. So it kind of retroactively justified the entire thing. And I really appreciated the line about the media. <laughs> I definitely am not sorry that that little three piece bit happened. It was fun. Cam, what did your Vulcan ears hear? My Vulcan ears... We're so new to wrestling, they got real confused why eugenics suddenly became a thing in a ladies' match. Oh, yes. The, like, oh, Charlotte's just genetically superior. All that stuff. Yes, I agree. It is creepy as fuck. I was like, are you going to start saying the master race at some point? What is going on? And then finally, Charlotte goes, woo! And I'm like, oh, I, even I know that. I know that. Yes. Now. 
It was a big it, relief. Yeah, that's that's about how she's a flare, you know. Yeah. But did so Rick like, Flair like position himself as like I just have the gene. Whatever is in the human genome that makes you good at wrestles, I got 3 of them. I don't think so. You know, Ric Flair would talk about how he was the best at wrestling, but I think the reference being made is to the fact that Flair kind of was the best at wrestling because you look back at Ric Flair's career and it's so legendary and like he really was like so amazing at it. I think that's the impetus for the genetically superior thing where it's like, she's a Flair. She's good at this. Personally, when I listen to that, I don't hear anything. Maybe it's because I've been a wrestling fan for so long, but I don't hear any of that because all I hear is I'm a flare and therefore I am good at wrestling. The sentiment is fine, but just whenever they're like genetically superior, I'm like, oh, go. Some of that kind of melts away because I've seen some of what Charlotte's up to these days. And that's not really where it's about. It's just that she is the queen and she is the queen in every sense. Like she is above everyone because of how goddamn good she is and how talented and how everything she is. All right, Bob, what did your human heart feel? I think it felt Sylvester LaFour and Marcus Louis. Wow. I just love these random saboteurs coming out here and going, you know what? Fuck these guys, but not particularly trying to hurt them. Just like damaging their facial hair situation. (laughs) And it's such a shenanigan rather than a actual anything. I mean, yeah, sure. They roughed them up and threw them like, you know, against the ring or whatever, which is nothing. But I just love that they committed so hard and they're like, this is the worst crime I could ever do. I'm going to wreck your already fucked up facial hair situation. Take that. Miles, what did your human heart feel? I totally understand why anyone would like the main event as the best match of the show. My favorite match on this episode was the women's match between Charlotte and Becky. And the reason that it was my favorite match and the reason I, I kind of went so hard on the idea of like, you know, the way you fix the situation that they're in is you just go out and have fucking bangers every time is I loved how much countering there was in this match and how much back and forth there was even after they got done with sort of the opening match technical wrestling stuff. So I actually have this written down. So they do kind of the technical wrestles for a while and Charlotte, they're trying to get each other submission holds and they're kind of exchanging like pinfall roll up stuff. And then they get up. All right. So here's the sequence. Charlotte kicks Becky in the gut. Irish whips her into the corner and like comes running at her. Becky dodges. So Charlotte hits the turnbuckle. Becky does sort of like this springboard kick where she jumps onto the second rope, leaps off of it and kicks Charlotte in the chest into the corner. And then she comes at Charlotte. Charlotte, then counters her, lifts her up, gets Becky on the apron, throws a punch at Becky, but Becky blocks it and throws a punch at Charlotte, which hits. Charlotte goes down, so Becky gets back in the ring, and then Charlotte from the ground just, like, double kicks her into the corner. And then, like, the kind of the match goes on from there. But it was, like, such a cool sequence to me because you expect to see that kind of counter-wrestling when you're doing all the technical stuff. But I really appreciated how that kind of back and forth really makes it feel like Becky belongs in the ring with her. Yes. And really makes it feel like they are just like two professionals who are both very good at this. And, you know, Charlotte is the champion, so she's going to win. But I just thought it was a really great match. And it was a really great match, I think, in large part because of the way it was structured. It was not kind of your standard formula. It was not your standard, like, I'm on top for a while, then you're on top for a while, then I try to come back, but I can't. You know what I mean? It was yeah. very different from the usual formula. It stood out to me in that way. I really, really love that match. Cam, what did your human heart feel? 
it felt the announcers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I couldn't stop laughing at them. <laughs> the words journalistic integrity happened twice on this show. <laughs> and at first I was like, are they? Wow, how absurd is it going to get? And it was just so exciting to me because it really went every place it really could. One of the reasons why, despite my love of a lot of what indie wrestling looks like and can do, I don't always love it because I need announcing that is where they are characters and they are doing crazy shit. And not all of indie wrestling has that yet, because a lot of times, you know, they're still learning skills, too. And so they're not at that level. But like announcing sometimes wrestling lives or dies by the announced team for me. All right. Well, those were the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. It is now time for one performer to be awarded the Lawrence Bolivier Award for outstanding commitment to the bit. So, Megan Bob, who's getting your Lawrence Bolivier Award for this episode? My Lawrence Olivier Award is going to Enzo Amore, actually, who sold losing his facial hair like the honor of his fucking family had been besmirched. <laughs> he came out and smack talked Sylvester LaFour like this was the Montagues and the Capulets, and it was pistols at dawn. And I was like, <laughs> you know, if you're gonna do this kind of match, you need somebody who can come out. Like the only other person who could be at that level of intensity about something this stupid is probably Tyler Breeze. Cause I mean, yeah. his shtick is being a model. And so I was just so impressed and delighted that this match that came out of nowhere suddenly felt deeply personal. And also I was like, also you should just shave all of it. So don't worry. And then throw him in a ditch. <laughs> I awarded mine to Enzo as well for the same reasons. (laughs) So I don't know how much more we need to get into it, but uh, just the bro, after they all left, the camera was in his face. He was feeling his hair. He's like, bro, bro. (laughs) Like he had just been dealt the most horrific offense that could ever happen. Love it. So good. Cam, who are you awarding your Lawrence Bolivier Award to? Mojo Raleigh. Oh, yes. All right. Because he's never going to smile again. Oh. Oh. So true. That makes sense, actually. Why would he? What reason could he possibly have to smile again? Maybe somebody (laughs) do a squeaky toy at him. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations to Enzo Amore and to Mojo Raleigh. First ever agreement between Bob and I. A double (laughs) double award for Boris Olivier here. Again, we have no Wrestling Term of the Week or Cheap Pop Quiz for this episode, but we are closing things out with another edition of Guess the Gimmick. For those who don't know or don't remember, this is the segment where one of our fans and or patrons submits the name of a professional wrestler, Megan Bob, and in this case, also Cam, goes to Google Images, types that wrestler's name into the Google Image search bar, and describes to us what they think that wrestler's gimmick was based purely on the images they see. So, for this edition of uh, Guess the Gimmick, this wrestler was actually submitted by Sharon. Okay. <laughs> this was Sharon's idea, and I thought it was such a good one that I wanted to do it. So what I would like you all to do is go to your search bar in Google Images and type in the name 
Mad Maxine. That is M-A-D space M-A-X-I-N-E. Oh, yeah. God damn. Whoa. <sighs> Whoa. What a fucking legend. <laughs> like, okay, so what we're seeing is a woman with partially shaped head. It's kind of a mohawk, but it's like a thicker mohawk. It's not a thin mohawk. So it's like got more floof and volume to it and can do. Um, She's got kind of like narrow face and wearing like fur epaulets and a leathery leather-esque bodice type thing. Some boots like little kind of pointy toe boots, no heel are shown in some pictures. And I think some facial piercings, maybe some like jewelry things Mm -hmm. some pictures have really intense like the winged eyeliner but the wing just goes all the way back to your hair yeah i don't think her face is actually pierced but she definitely does have some uh, some pretty good makeup going on i have theories but cam what are your theories she's supposed to be tina turner and mad max in beyond yeah this is amazing it it is amazing okay amazing i want you to go with me okay so remember how America McGee's Alice in Wonderland was the thing that everybody was really into for a little bit. Yes. Does everybody remember this? I remember this. I remember I, I wanted to be cool and like it. Um, I read a bunch of fanfic about it, but never played it. So it presumes like this dark, twisted version of Alice in Wonderland, which is a popular thing that people like to do. I yeah. would like you to imagine, though, let's toss aside Lewis Carroll and let us instead look at Dr. Seuss. <laughs> <laughs> is okay. she thing one or thing two? Oh, well, <laughs> Okay. I would like to posit that in this dark, twisted Seussiverse, Mad Maxine has had to fight various, like, truffle trees or whatever, and thing one <laughs> and thing two, and those colorful floofs on her shoulders and on her head are the result of bloody victories that she has won over you know, the trees or over the Lorax or whatever that like (laughs) in this dark twisted version, they're not good and perfect. And thing one and thing two are actually like, I don't know. uh, They're evil murderers who also put salt in your sugar and it's awful. She has roamed the land, you know, Oh, the places you'll go. Oh, she's been there. She's been there. (laughs) And she's taking you with her. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I think. Uh, Yertle the turtle, that's probably what her bodice is made out of. <laughs> she fucking killed him and skinned him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was right, right? That's exactly what it is. Basically, yeah, no. <laughs> um, Cam was pretty close. Mad Maxine, as you might expect, was inspired by the Mad Max movies. She was supposed to be sort of a post-apocalyptic kind of deal. But in terms of the specific look, Janine Mioseth, who was the uh, performer behind the character, um, has claimed that she was directly inspired. This was the 1980s, as you might expect. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was directly inspired by uh, Mohawk Storm from the X-Men comics. (gasps) Oh! I need to be her best friend. (laughs) Yeah, so... She is actually a really interesting character in wrestling because she's not really a character in wrestling. And what I mean by that is that Mad Maxine only wrestled for two years. Wait, what? 
And she probably would have been a really big star. She was kind of expected to be a really big star. She trained under Bob. Oh, the fabulous Moolah. The fabulous Moolah. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, because the fabulous Moolah had her feud against Wendy Richter, which was kind of what got the rock and wrestling age going, what got WrestleMania going. We've talked about that in the past. And Mad Maxine, in theory, was supposed to be Moolah's secret weapon against Wendy Richter. Uh, and she wrestled a few matches at the beginning of her career. I think pretty much they were like all like dominant squash matches, which women didn't usually get. And so she was kind of positioned to be a big deal. And supposedly the story goes that she was going to be in the Saturday morning cartoon. <gasps> oh, I was robbed. Yeah. Yes. It is unclear how much Mula actually did to screw with her career. Mm-hmm. But my understanding of what happened is that Mad Maxine, Janine Yosef, unlike many other people who wrestled for WWF and for the Fabulous Moolah in particular, had a little bit of goddamn dignity. Mm. And she saw how much of her money, how big of a cut Moolah was taking. She saw how much Moolah controlled the division. She saw, according to her, the way Moolah pimped out the women she trained. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. And she decided, fuck this. I am out. And she left and she became a journalist and like a choreographer and did all sorts of cool shit with her life. She eventually came out with a, a novel called The mm. Chronicles of Mad Maxine. That ah, that's awesome. Is not autobiographical, but is sort of a general, this is what it was like to train under the fabulous Mula kind of book, even though she names no names and claims no specific instances actually took place. Mm-hmm. She's just a really, really interesting character in wrestling because she was sort of positioned to be this big star in the 80s and, you know, was supposed to be in the cartoon. By the way, you'll never guess who replaced her as the female member of the cast of that cartoon. You'll never <sighs> guess. Uh... I don't know. I can't think of any. Um, it it was the fabulous Moolah. Oh, Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. The fabulous Moolah replaced her in that cartoon. Supposedly never told uh, Meowseth that that was part of the plan, that she was going to be in it before she left. So yeah, just really interesting. The star who never was, was Mad Maxine. This is such bullshit. I'm so angry. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, wrestling got, for I, like, I literally probably would have gotten into wrestling if somebody like that was on the screen. I know. Right? I know. I'm telling you. Like, what the fabulous Moolah did to women's wrestling in the 80s is utterly unforgivable. We've talked about it before. I just wanted to mention it again. She's one of the stories from that era where it's like, and it wasn't even like that she, at least as far as we know, was like screwed out of anything or like she just saw how the game was played and was like, no, I'm not doing it. Wow. What are my other options? Yes, exactly. I am so glad for her that she got the fuck out. Well, that was uh, Guess the Gimmick, and that brings us to the end of our show. Cam, thank you so much for joining us on the episode. It was such a pleasure having you here to talk about all these things and have all these fun, interesting, occasionally rage-inducing conversations with you. (laughs) I mean, I've I've loved this entire concept of the show since the beginning. I think I might have been the second patron that you all had i believe you were patron number two yes yeah so so yeah no i absolutely adore you guys if i ever get into wrestling it's gonna be all your faults there's good stuff out there but like there's a lot of stuff that people think is good and it's just Mm -hmm. boring 
Yeah, that's true. That's factually correct. Stick with us, Cam. We'll steer you right. I just, I, I honestly, I enjoy listening to you, not just if I have the ability to pay attention, but also I just, I love your voices. I love your vibe. Aww. You two are two of the nicest human beings on earth. And just knowing you're out there is fantastic. Oh, thank you. We're glad you're out there. And do you want to tell us about some of the stuff you're doing, if you have stuff to plug? Well, I just got a text in the middle of this where uh, my co-host Jamie Smith wants to know when we're going to start recording Vampire Diaries because she is, it looks like clear from COVID, we hope. Yay! You know, hopefully soon. Oh, man. And that will be through the Unspoiled Network? That will be through the Unspoiled Network. Yeah, and Cam has some other stuff that you've done uh, for Unspoiled as well, so you can go out and check out uh, their previous work. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah. We covered Lost. uh, We covered Band of Brothers, which is the number one show that everybody should go see. I was shocked how much I loved it. And Punisher Season 1, we did not do Season (laughs) 2. We did not. I have feelings. (laughs) All of them happy that I did not cover it. And then also, if you are a patron of Unspoiled, you could check out Natasha and I covering Great British Bake Off. (gasps) Yes. Was on paternity leave for Mr. Rowan. That's right. That's right. That was a good time. That's a really great uh, season of Unspoiled. Cam, thanks so much. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you down the road. Well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Thank you so much to Cam servo for joining us on this episode and thanks to bob as well thank you it has been a delight and if you cannot get enough of the three of us having a bit of an owl chat i cannot recommend strongly enough that you head on over to the hard choices feed and listen to us rank the fuckability not how beautiful they are because they're all pretty beautiful i mean with some glaring exceptions uh (laughs) the fuckability of characters from the Mortal Kombat franchise. So if you want to hear what I think of Reptile and I have thoughts, then get you over there and uh, have have a listen to our bizarre meandering conversations and uh, some real insights into each of us, as well as a past guest on the show, Dan Mulcairn. Yeah. Dan and Bob and myself, as well as Cam, all on this episode of Hard Choices. Mortal Kombat, you should go check it out. Uh, check out all the other Hard Choices episodes we've done, too, because uh, Bob puts those together. It is their brainchild, and they are amazing. I, so. Hard Choices is very important to my heart. <laughs> uh, speaking of brainchilds, I suppose. Yes! Um, one other thing that you can do right now, if you want to, that I forgot to mention on our last uh, outro, but I am mentioning now, is to go over to fanbyte.com slash wrestling. Yes. That's F-A-N-B-Y-T-E dot com slash wrestling. And uh, read a couple of articles that I produced for them. I've been writing uh, sporadically for Fanfight for a little while now, but um, these most recent articles are very NXT specific. And if you're trying to avoid spoilers for this show, if you're doing what Bob is doing and following along like that, you're not going to want to read this article. Uh, it's actually a two part article. There's a part one of the part two. What is the legacy of NXT's black and gold era? It is a uh, kind of me um, working through my feelings about what 
basically has been confirmed at this point is the death of NXT as we know it. So if you're a wrestling fan and you're already familiar with all this stuff or you want just my perspective on what's going on with NXT right now and my retrospective on the promotion as a whole, uh, you can go check out those two articles currently available on uh, Fanbyte or as they call it, Fanfight. I cannot recommend it strongly enough. Miles allowed me to read up to the first break in it, which covers mm-hmm. Bo Dallas, and it was so important. It was the epitaph he deserved for the work that he put in to early NXT, making it a home for weird and original. So Miles' writing is so good, but Miles' writing on wrestling is like next level. No, shut up, Miles. It's true. (laughs) So thank you to everybody who goes and reads that. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, thank you also to everybody who supports our work here on this podcast by going to patreon.com slash NXT wrestling fan and kicking over a couple of bucks every month to help keep this show going. We really appreciate you. And uh, recently one of the ways in which we've been appreciating you the most openly is by putting your wrestling characters, which you get for being a patron into the first ever next wrestling fan federation trios tournament. Oh yeah. And uh, today's matchup features the team of Dylan Dalbridge and the Drop Bear. As you might recall, Dylan Dalbridge being the uh, rich kid from a rich wrestling family who gets more of his inheritance uh, the more accomplishments he earns in his wrestling career. Mm-hmm. And the Drop Bear, who's sort of his like gruff, rough and tumble, evil koala tag team partner. And uh, they are joined in this case by Kevin Van Hoos, a.k.a. the evil lawyer character. Yes. And what's been happening in this storyline, Bob, is that Kevin Van Hoos has sort of attached himself to Dylan Dalbridge Mm -hmm. and is kind of trying to give the kid advice. And, you know, he's got an inheritance to unlock. Well, I can help with that. So he's like, you know, really kind of trying to worm his way into the kid's good graces. Oh, no. The drop bear is very suspicious of all of this and uh, does not like what he has been seeing recently. Koala's famously anti-litigious. Their opponents... The team of High Tech, a.k.a. Crash Tag, the rebellious technological hacktivist. There you go. And Fat Blunt 69, the pot smoking robot. And their tag team partner for this match is a character that we haven't seen that much of. And this is Goodwill Green, the environmentalist babyface. Now, Kenning, who's the patron behind Goodwill Green, came in at a really weird time because we had just done Ill Omens before Kenning showed up. And then, like, you know, we needed a break after that before we did anything more like super firm stuff with all your characters. So Kenning is in this weird place where they're kind of like the first entry in this new set of characters that we started coming up with uh, after Ill Omens. So we haven't talked much about Goodwill Green, and I'm going to say that translates to the experience. The audience hasn't seen that much of Goodwill Green. Goodwill Green is an environmentalist superhero, mm-hmm. in case you were wondering, like literally like like colorful costume and, and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, not a lot of experience in front of the crowd. A little bit of butterflies. Aww. This first major outing alongside high tech here. Bob, I don't know if you've seen this in comedy matches 
in a lot of comedy matches, after the bell rings, the first couple of minutes of the match is still just shenanigans. In this case, the early shenanigans involve Kevin Van Hoos attempting to uh, serve paperwork to Fat Blunt 69 oh, no. for his incessant pot smoking <laughs> and to Crash Tag for his just general hacktivist uh, chaos that he creates. But then, of course, they kick him in the face with double super kicks, so that, that doesn't go well for him right away. Oh, and then the papers um, go flying. Just the papers go everywhere. As the match actually kind of properly begins, we shine the baby faces at the beginning. This match can start off sort of a formulaic way. And uh, for the first little while, it's just the the good guys are on top. And they're on top mostly at the expense of the drop bear because Kevin Van Hoos has Dylan Dalbridge on the outside and is like talking to him very earnestly with like lots of gestures of his hands. and But like they're turned away from the ring, so they can't actually see what's happening. Aww, that's so mean. So, the drop bear is just kind of like, hey, and then he just gets by another move. And then he just gets up, hey, over here, and he gets hit by another move. And we weren't sure, you know, going into this match, how is Goodwill Green gonna have cohesion with this existing tag team? But Goodwill mm. Green and Crash Tag already have a tag team maneuver that they use, and it's called NFT, and it stands for Nice Fucking Try. So the drop bear comes for a move and crash tag blocks it. And then for behind tap on the shoulder and a forearm to the face because fuck NFTs. Fuck NFTs. That's right. <laughs> now, also during this period where the baby faces are kind of in control, the match hits the four minute, 20 second mark. Bob. Mm-hmm. Crucial. Crucial. Yes. What, what happens in every high tech match when that hits? Whenever the clock hits and there is a clock up on the Titan Tron that is counting down at oh, this yeah. point. The crowd gets to count down to 420. Oh, yeah. yes. Then no matter what is happening in the match, no matter where in the match Fat Blunt 69 is, out comes a blunt or a pipe or something. It kind of varies depending on the match. And then mm-hmm. it's time to light up. Miles, what situation do we find Fat Blunt 69 in this time whenever he blazes? Well, you wouldn't normally think it would be a problem because in this case, he actually happens to be on the ring apron. He's not tagged into the match. Oh, that's convenient. Um, it's crash tag currently in the match. The problem starts when when Fat Blunt 69 starts to blaze up and then offers some to Goodwill Green. Mm-hmm. Who very kind of curiously takes a few hits. That's not saying I'm not saying Goodwill Green's never smoked before, but no. like this is this is Fat Plum 69's personal sash. Oh shit! When Crash Tag comes back over to tag in Goodwill Green, Goodwill Green kind of stumbles into the ring and doesn't exactly know where he is, and that is what allows the Drop Bear to finally take advantage of one of these people, hit a big move, and get the heels in control of the match. He's like leans over and demands that Dalbridge get back up here, you know. Oh man, I mean, look, this is really Fat Blunt 69's fault for thinking like everybody <laughs> can hit that stuff. No, that is for yeah. experienced users only. During the next phase of the match, there's a big move, I believe, that the Drop Bear hits. Bob, do you want to tell us? about that it is a moonsault off the second rope it's called the eucalyptus and it (laughs) afterwards you do need an analgesic much like eucalyptus provides to koalas (laughs) the heels are in charge dollbridge and the drop bear passing goodwill green who's playing the babyface in peril here back and forth 
Tevin Van Hoos, meanwhile, is actually not helping with any of this. He's like walking around outside and he's gotten a microphone from somewhere. <gasps> and he's just like shouting into the microphone about how amazing his client Dylan Dalbridge is and how he's a future star in this company. Back turned to the ring, just like totally ignoring everything. Oh, God. At one point, the drop bear comes down to like argue with him and try to take the microphone away from him because, you know, Dalbridge is in control in the middle of the ring. He's going to be fine. But. That's not actually what happens. Unfortunately, uh, Goodwill Green does manage to escape Dalbridge's clutches and make the hot tag to Fat Blunt 69, who just starts wiping the floor with uh, with Dalbridge. Aww. And the drop bear tries to come back in, but then Crash Tag hits the ring as well to attack him. They have a tag team move called Can't Stop the Signal, mm-hmm. which is uh, what they hit the drop bear with. And then they drop Dalbridge in the middle of the ring. And they each climb to the top rope. <gasps> Crash Tag hits his top rope move, which is called Going Viral. And then Fatbone69 hits his big move from the top rope, which is called Getting High, Coming Down. <laughs> oh my god. As Fatbone69 gets the pin on Dylan Dalbridge, Kevin Van Hoos rolls into the ring and kind of like looks at the pinfall and jumps to break it up, but he only jumps like five inches. <laughs> So he, like, doesn't get there in time, even though he clearly could have jumped further. <gasps> but he sells it like, you know, oh, he was so close. He was almost there. Oh, rude. just want to say real quick, I know I had Dylan Dalbridge lose this match. Uh, Jake Bobo is his patron. And I imagine that Jake is flying too high right now on the Cincinnati Bengals being in the Super Bowl <laughs> to care about this. So. <laughs> Good job, Bengals. Good job, Bengals. Uh, so, yeah, the team of Goodwill Green and High Tech advances in the trios tournament. And uh, the team of Dylan Dalbridge and the Drop Bear continues to have some issues with the unctuous ministrations of Kevin Van Hoos. And mm. where will that go? All right. Somebody go take uh, Goodwill Green to the chill out tent. <laughs> That's right. Hey, thanks to everybody uh, who was part of that match for being a patron, talking about Jake Bobo, of course, talking about Tigranosaurus, uh, Chris Newton, of course, Daniel Kidder, Fat Blunt 69 himself, Cam B, and Kenning, who gave us the character of uh, Goodwill Green. That character will continue to be explored as we move through the Trios Tournament. Uh, but that's not coming till later, and the next match in the next Wrestling Fan Federation Trios Tournament will be happening on our next episode, so stay tuned for that. Thank you all so much for being patrons. Thank you all so much just for listening, for being part of this journey, and we will see you once again in two weeks with a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Yeah. The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman and Megan Bob, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. 
You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. I did watch with the closed caption because I'm too yes. lazy to turn it off. Oh, I love closed caption. It was so funny because they could not get S-A-W-F-T right. They like kept oh, swapping the letters around or just getting them wrong entirely. <laughs> <laughs> that's fun. I love when the captions are fucked up. It is, I mean, I know, look, that's not okay for people who need it for accessibility reasons, but I would like for there to be proper captions that are for people who need those for accessibility reasons and then shitty captions where you could just enjoy it. I don't know a world in which one would need to have soft spelled incorrectly correctly. Mm. <laughs> mm. Also, but I think lollipops oh, not in the mouth when you're doing stuff. Thank you. Yeah, I know. It's he could have a I, safety sucker. Oh, what's what's that? Oh, you didn't have safety suckers when you were a kid. It's like this. It's like a loop of. Oh no! I yes, I did. Yeah. I what was, makes it safe? Right. I don't understand. Because <laughs> it's soft. <laughs> so you can't jam yourself with it. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not to derail the safety sucker conversation. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It's fine. This is the kind of shit that we love. <laughs> <laughs>